Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Welcome back to Fizz 5. John Eads and Ian Unsworth back with you for this week's edition. whole lot to talk about here on this week's edition of Fizz 5. A lot of basketball talk. We're even going to get into football because the Syracuse football team was on display for the first time in 2022 with its spring game. And we'll close things up with a little lacrosse talk, although kind of a soft subject. Don't really want to get into it. Syracuse was lambasted. Lambasted? Is that a word? Yes, yes. Lambasted, lambasted. is a word, and it perfectly serves to describe what, what you're referencing. We'll go with that one. Disgusting loss to Notre Dame. We'll break it all down for you later on Fizz 5. But let's start with topic number one on the basketball court. Number one. So Judah Mintz, the latest commitment and probably the final commitment to Syracuse's 2022 basketball recruiting class. Some people are calling it the Fab Six. It might be Jim Beheim's best recruiting class ever, and this is just the crown jewel. Certainly the best since 2007 when he brought in guys like Don, D Johnny Flynn, Dontrell Green, you name it. Uh, Scoop Jardine was also in that class. So, yes, if, if guys live up in this class to those kind of names, then absolutely this will be Bayheim's best class in a long time or in forever. That 2007 class, second best in the nation. Judah Mintz, on the other hand, a four-star guard uh, from around the D.C. area, one of those DMV quote-unquote recruits, and he's six foot three, one sixty-five, the ninth best combo guard in the nation. Lots alike. So he's the second of two combo guards in this class, along with Kodir Copeland, who a lot of people thought could be a guy that plays a role in year one, but now with Mintz on the board, perhaps not. But one of the top guys in the nation a lot of programs wanted him but Syracuse takes him over to Paul and he visited back for the second Duke game which you know great atmosphere to see probably not the best basketball game to watch from a Syracuse standpoint but coach Beheim and company think that Mintz could be a guy that will perhaps have Syracuse blowing out Duke in that fashion yeah I, I wrote uh, the recap article of Mintz's commitment on orangefizz.net and I said the exact same thing I hope he wasn't taking the basketball game itself into account. But this is a guy that was originally committed to Pitt, of all places. And that was in the fall of his junior year. And after all the transfers leave last year, Pitt is, you know, a trash heap at the bottom of the ACC this year. Yes, they beat Syracuse, another soft spot. We're not going there. But after all, you know, this season transpires, Jeff Capel's kind of on the hot seat. Why not look somewhere else? I don't know why his final forward came down to Syracuse and DePaul and two other programs that just really aren't nationally relevant, especially for a prospect, like you said, that national programs were looking at. But I think at this point, most schools already have their classes locked up. Schools like the Dukes and Kansases and Kentuckys of the world, they're, they're just not looking for more guys. So Syracuse has an open slot, and especially with maybe our next topic of choice, Frank Anselm hitting the portal, you know, maybe another scholarship opens up. Judah Mintz, a perfect perfect fit for Syracuse because you know what he drives the ball extremely well he's got great body control a great first step quickness and then once he gets in the air he can fight with those bigger defenders lay it up and in for and one something that Joe Girard just certainly does not possess that's a pretty good combo and if Mintz is to play the one he's got good length at about six foot four this is Fizz 5 with John Eads and Ian Unsworth reminder you can check out all of our stuff at OrangeFizz, orangefizz.net, and at OrangeFizz on Twitter, daily basketball, football, even lacrosse coverage there for you guys. And you just took the next question I had for you kind of out of my mouth. 
Is Mintz a guy that can come in and start at that point guard role and perhaps uh, there's a situation in which you can move Joe Girard over to the two? How does he affect this team in his first season? Well, the the common consensus around the three one five is that Joe Girard is better off the ball. A lot of people have seen that when we watched the ACC tournament and Samir Torrance played big minutes in Buddy Beheim's absence. It showed Gerard looked pretty comfortable when he was given an opportunity to run around without the ball in his hands, not have the worry of bringing it up the floor and having those turnover issues. So there are some things that I think Mintz really provides in terms of, of some spacing, giving Gerard that space, and then also just on his own individual regard, Syracuse needs players of of his talent level to compete. It's not bringing in the Malik Browns of the world and like maybe three of those guys per class. That's just simply not going to cut it. So I think that overall, this is a great get for Syracuse and it spells good things for the future. So potentially a position battle going down in the fall between Joe Girard, Tymir Torrance, Judah Mintz, and even Kadir Copeland. But one place there was no position battle to begin with is at center. And that's our second topic here on Fizz 5. Number two. So Frank Anselm in the transfer portal, it's kind of funny because you and I were on these microphones pretty much about one month ago predicting, hypothesizing at would Frank Anselm enter the transfer portal this year? Does that make sense for him? We both thought he would, and now he is. It wasn't hard to figure out. Frank Anselm had been berated constantly by Jim Beheim. He only started six games and got his place taken in the ACC tournament nonetheless, by a player who was coming off a bum, two bum knees, if we're being completely honest. And it just didn't seem like Syracuse was really the right fit for him. He reclassified, made that early step to collegiate basketball. And I don't think a place like Syracuse where you're either going to get thrown to the wolves or you're going to get, uh, you know, cursed out half the time probably in practice is right for Anselm. He needed a, a place where there were, the stakes were a lit, little lower where he could mature and and learn the game as a player. I mean, he's still very young in his developmental cycle. So overall, I just don't think Syracuse was the right fit. And yes, Anselm still can do things that jump off the page, but I would say they're much better suited at probably a, a you know a, a group of five. Well, that's not even that's a football thing, but mid <laughs> ma- mid major level like a Horizon League, a Conference USA, something like that. Like the Robert Braswell transition. It's a step right. down from you know high level basketball, but he'll be a, he'll be able to flourish. It's kind of funny because he ans- he entered the transfer portal briefly last season and then thought better of that decision or. I mean, maybe he didn't think better of it because he came back and now he's at the same spot one year later. But he did have a chance to get some real good experience out there later in the season with Jesse Edwards on the bench and uh, perhaps provide some film for coaches to see of him playing basketball. Although, I'm going to be honest, he doesn't have a whole lot to offer on the floor aside from rebounding and maybe a little bit of length on the defensive side. So I was never really a fan of Frank Anselm. Uh, Like you said, maybe just not a good fit at Syracuse. Good luck to him wherever he ends up going. Uh, Any schools in mind? I know there's so many to pick from, but... Uh, there are over 1,100 players in the transfer portal right now. Is That's, he a guy that a program should take? Well, yes, okay. because he, he is a legitimate talent. Let's let's not act like there, are, there aren't a ton of six foot eleven guys running around out there. I mean, Syracuse's first game against Lafayette, they had a 7-footer. That is very rare for mid-major basketball. Most of these teams are not shock full of big guys. And if you watch the NCAA tournament, Georgia State almost beat Gonzaga, and it's because the Georgia State team had four transfers who were all seven foot. 
So even just bringing in those bodies to compete uh, is, is really worth something worthwhile. So I would not be surprised if a mid-major program takes a swing at him, and if he ultimately ends up paying off, maybe makes a you know all-defensive team somewhere. But yes, I think we're both in the same boat here. Uh, and I couldn't give you any school predictions right now. There, there are just way too many players floating around in limbo to, to have any sort of prediction ability. So Ansel ends his Syracuse career with 90 total points, averaging 2.5 per game and a little over 3.5 rebounds, and you can keep it locked to at OrangeFizz on Twitter, orangefizz.net for continued coverage on the Anselm situation. And if you are staying tuned to those two sites, uh, those two platforms today, you would have seen some big news coming in from Syracuse basketball. Let's discuss even more of that right now with our third topic. Number three. So Cole Swider had the option to either stay on the hill for one more season or go pro, and he elected to go with the latter. He will be taking his talents to the NBA or the G League or overseas, one of the above. The point is he will not be coming back to Syracuse. I think this experiment did work out, and he just never really reached his full potential until it was too late. Experiment, yes. I'd certainly call it that. And I agree with you as well that the growing pains certainly fit the bill. And Jim Beheim was certainly right on this when he told everyone early on in the season that Swider is taking his time to adjust. This is a real adjustment for him. He's playing 35 minutes when he was playing 13 at Villanova a season ago. Nobody really seemed to grasp that because you, you see high major player, high major program. You think they should be able to compete immediately. And, and Swider took that time. But at the same time, where would Syracuse be at the end of the season without Cole Swider? How could everyone look at this 2021 season, which was a failure within itself because the SU had sweet 16 aspirations, and say that this, you know, this team, they they stunk, but they, they really stuck it out. And they stuck it out because Cole Swider put up a record-setting performance in the Dean Dome. They stuck it out because he was unconscious against Florida State and against Duke in the ACC tournament. And so he was a difference maker. Now, does he have a pro future? I mean, I'll, I'll kick it back to you, John, on that. I, I'm not, I don't think so. I don't know. I'm not sure that I've seen enough from him defensively to say so. Uh, when he gets hot, he's hot. Like He's a good shooter. But yeah. I think he's just a little bit too inconsistent. Now, he kind of quelled that in the second half of the season. Like Instead of going for 21 one night and then going for five like he would typically do in the first half of the season, it was more of a 21 than 11. So, he had like 11 straight games and double figures at one point. Right, and then he had like six out of eight with like 18-plus points, and that was the stretch in which Syracuse was looking poised to maybe backdoor their way into the NCAA tournament, but then Jesse Edwards went down with an injury, and Cole Swider had a little bit more... Uh, weight on his shoulders and he handled it pretty well in some games like North Carolina but then there were other games like against Miami where he had six points shot the ball nine times and made just two baskets so I think if he wants to have a flourishing uh, bright pro career he's going to need to find a bit more consistency and add some more elements to his game yes he's a good shooter yes he can hunt his shot but I want to see more of him off the dribble and I want to see more from him defensively that's going to take a long time those are skills you don't just develop overnight. Right. Maybe a summer or two of hard work get him there. Maybe he can find his way into the G League and keep trying, keep trying. But at the same time, he could he could easily spend six to eight years in Europe and have a very solid playing career over there with Marek Dolzhai. But he's a good two-way player. Let's not forget he led the Syracuse team in rebounding as a forward, which is kind of a unique situation because it's tough to lead the team as a center. 
and rebounding in, in his own defense. But uh, a really solid career, about 14 points per game, seven rebounds per game. And towards the end of the season, he became the guy for this team, especially in that Duke game. Now, he didn't handle it particularly well in that last one because Buddy Beheim wasn't in and he hasn't really had to be that guy before. But I think Cole Swider definitely has the tools to have a pro career uh, for however long that may be and wherever that may be. And if he does, more power to him, and he's not coming back, folks. So you better get used right. to it. If you want more on that situation, Cam is there. One of our staff writers wrote a big article about that and kind of his takeaways, a good, bad, and different standpoint. Find that at orangefizz.net. Two more topics to discuss. Let's go ahead and get the bad one out of the way first, and we'll save some goodies for the Sounds end. Sounds good. We're talking Syracuse men's lax on number four. Number four. All right, let's uh, let's get this over with. 22-6 to six loss. Uh, we're, we're talking lacrosse, not football yet. I know Syracuse and Notre Dame will play each other on Ernie Davis Legends Field in the fall. Maybe that will be the football score. I certainly hope not. But uh, a tough loss for Syracuse. The Orange were coming off uh, an emotional high. First ranked win under Gary Gate. First ACC win over number 10 Duke. I thought that this Blue Devils team was the worst in the ACC. And on the polar opposite end of that spectrum, Notre Dame probably the best team in the ACC. And it certainly looked like it. Virginia's the best team in the ACC. I'm going to go ahead and stop you right there. But Notre Dame has players that consistently give it to Syracuse year in and year out. Pat Cavanaugh, every single year, has Syracuse's number. He's now put up three straight games of nine or more points. He had 10 last year in South Bend at Arlotta Stadium, nine this year in Arlotta Stadium, and nine in the Dome last year. And every single game, he puts on a masterclass. He's never rushed. Syracuse doesn't have the one-on-one -on -one defender to really get in his face. And Kavanaugh had six assists of those nine points, and some of those were to Jake Taylor, who had never started a game in his life before Saturday. And he had eight goals, a Notre Dame program freaking record, John. Huh. Eight goals, half of which were dunks in the crease. He had two behind-the-back shots. Uh, both of those in the first half, by the way, because let you know, let's just kick it around. Notre Dame scores about four in the first five minutes, nine in the first quarter. This game was over. You could have flew everyone back to the three one five, and nobody would have blinked an eye. Well, speaking of flights, apparently their flight to South Bend didn't get in until about one thirty in the morning the day before, which I'm not really sure how that happens when you fly a charter, but that's neither here nor there. It's it wasn't snowing. Whenever they got there, it certainly looked like they had gotten there at 1.30 in the morning because Notre Dame got out to a 9 nothing lead in the first quarter. And I know you got to play three other quarters after the first one. It's by rule. It's not like softball where there's a mercy rule. Uh, but it was all but, all but a formality at yeah. the end of the first quarter. There, there, was no, there was no coming back from anything like that. And Gary Gate did about everything. He switched goalies, Bobby Gavin and Harrison Thompson. I mean, the offense when... They did get the ball, did absolutely nothing. It's it's that, I mean, the offense can get cold. I understand that. But they had opportunities in the first quarter. And it, or time after time again, and I'm sure you've documented this in the Fizz film room, on offense, Syracuse makes sloppy mistakes. There are passes around the outside that go over heads. Or there are missed cutters through the middle. Or, or you know, the ball gets to X, nobody moves. Things like that are just indicative of a first-year head coach you don't know the system that well it's still developing guys can't read each other's minds but at the same time you need a bit more leadership I think on the offensive end as well uh, because Tucker Dordovic hero ball isn't going to cut it Tucker has to as you've said before 
dodge to pass, and there was not enough of that. It was a lot of stagnant offense, and it was not good offense at all. Well, that would explain that. Six goals for Syracuse, 22 for Notre Dame. Seems like it doesn't matter who's the head coach of Syracuse because Notre Dame put up 22 last year against Syracuse, and Dave Petromal and Gary Gate come in, 22 more goals at Arlotta Stadium. So, very disappointing performance. One last thing I do want to say about this game is I'm a little puzzled as to how it turned out how it did because Jacob Fopp dominated at the faceoff X. 20 of 31, Syracuse won 20 faceoffs, Notre Dame just 11. When you do that, it means you're going to have possession of the ball a lot more. So, like you were saying, I guess too much sloppy play, and we didn't see any of that against Duke. So I don't really understand how you can go from playing so well one week to so bad the next. Travel issues aside, I don't understand. Do you have those turnover numbers up, John? They were even, 18 and 17. But I will say this, 11 for Syracuse in the first half, Five for Notre Dame in the first half. And then in the second, I'm sure they emptied their bench quite a bit. That'll so. do that. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed, bad bounces for Syracuse on the defensive end as well. A couple of ground balls that kicked the wrong way. Uh, a, a errant pass or two that just found its way to a Notre Dame stick in the slot. There there were a couple of those moments. And once those punch you in the gut, you're already down 4 nothing. It's really tough to come back. So where do you stand with this team as we wrap up our fourth topic here? Uh, I've I've been on on the fence pretty much with this team the whole year. I don't think they're making the tournament. There just aren't enough opportunities for them to to compete. I think they might have a chance to snag one more big win in the dome, whether it's Cornell or uh, Virginia. Uh, I mean, after the after what Fop did in in Charlottesville, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, Notre Dame coming to the Dome, is it a different story? I don't think so. So probably Cornell, I don't know if they win. You've been saying it for a while that they do. I don't know if Syracuse does win, but I think that's the Orange's best chance to keep a game close, a highly competitive game against a top-10 team. Five games left in the regular season. Starts on Thursday at UAlbany. That should be a win. But first time they're going to play the Great Danes over there. So, you know, they're going to have a great crowd. They're going to be hyped for that one. Then a home game against number 7 Cornell, a game that I think they will win. But then they go on the road to play number 9 UNC, and then they finish up with back-to-back home games against Virginia and Notre Dame. So this could certainly be a 1-4 and four stretch, maybe 2-3 and three at best. I don't know. We'll see. But Not let's looking finish great. Up. Let's finish up. Johnny Dean Unsworth with you here on Fizz 5. That was the vegetable section. Let's do the dessert section. We're talking Syracuse football with our fifth topic. Number 5. All right, so the Orange back in action, and no surprise, I'm super excited. It was nice to see them back in action, pretty good fan turnout at that spring game. No Garrett Schrader, no Sean Tucker. Not a big surprise there. I don't really need to see them in action. Uh, Schrader had a bit of a hamstring issue in practice, and Tucker is Sean Tucker. He can do whatever the hell he wants. He doesn't need to play. Chris Bleich didn't play. Neither did Matthew Bergeron or Kalen Ellis, but it gave us a chance to see more offensive linemen get involved and some young studs as well. What was your biggest takeaway from the spring game? Looking at the the non-existent stat sheet that we were provided, uh, but the stats that did make it out, Justin Lamson was 7 for 10 with 151 yards and two touchdowns. And he looked like he had been at the helm of this offense for about three years. Yes, he was playing with the twos, going against the twos, but he was confident. He slung the ball around the outside. There were some design quarterback runs, and he lowered his shoulder, ran into some defenders, which we didn't see Jacoby and Morgan do. Uh, Not a great look, all things considered. You know, that that third quarterback spot, maybe even that second quarterback spot, could be yours, Jacobian, but I I think Lampson's securely got it now. And even though he might not play a lick in the regular season, I, I I was thoroughly impressed. 
I think it means that Robert and I and Jason Beck, the new OC and QB coach from Virginia, are doing the right things, and eventually their system, which we did see a bit of, some some more flat passes, quick screens, quick dumps over the middle, a lot of motion concepts. I think that scheme is going to pay out in the long run for Syracuse. There were some things we didn't like with the offense, but overall I'd say it was about like 70-30 like to dislike. Yeah, I think Lampson's a good fit for this offense. Former big-time dual-threat quarterback recruit. I wrote an article about his high school film, which you can find on the website just by searching Justin Lampson. A lot of those skills really carried over, and I hadn't really seen much of Justin Lampson, uh, Lampson rather, up to this point because he really hasn't played in any games or anything like that. So One got picked off. Yeah, not, not too impressive uh, from the Michigan transfer. However, there were some young guys that stood out on offense. We've been banging the drum for the running backs for a long time. Your guy, Jawan Price, guy. LaQuinn Allen, both of those uh, both of those young players looked extremely impressive and should be great options to give Sean Tucker a bit of a breather, which he did not have last year at all. Cooper right. Lutz is not with the program anymore. He's at Vanderbilt. So that's that's a big development for Syracuse, finally getting some more options. In the passing game as well, you could use the backs. And also some young wide receivers who looked really impressive. Amari Hatcher, first come, first serve. I think he's the guy that, that made a big impression. He was the biggest guy that sparked in that game, I think. He had the biggest catches. Damian Alford had a nice grab as well. Devon Cooper got a lot of run. Uh, Aronde Gadsden was being used as kind of like a tight end, which was a little bit weird. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I was not a fan. I, I don't know what it is about Dino Babers and just refusing to allow people to use tight ends. You have tight ends for a reason. There's no, there's no need to be lining up a wide receiver two feet from the tight end and then have him run a route to where a tight end should be going. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. But you talked about what you didn't like about the offense before. What were some of those things? There were a couple of schemes I just didn't agree with. Um, some some wide receivers. Cooper? Yeah, wide receivers around. blocking as like lead blockers and the uh, you know trying to block linebackers. Yeah. Things like that. And th- those, will, those are all wrinkles that will get smoothed with time. Uh, Dino did say before the spring game that they're trying to run every single play in Robert and I's playbook so they can weed out what works and what doesn't work. And we know that they've been doing a lot of red zone stuff. Uh, when, they should. When, when Luke McPhail was in the second half, take this with a grain of salt because here we go. But when Luke McPhail was playing uh, QB in the second half and it was like walk-on versus walk-ons, I wasn't too thrilled about their red zone playbook, but then again, that was Mario Escobar running the ball and not a top five Heisman candidate in the upcoming season. So you know, I think I think I'm really really picking at straws here. Uh, one more thing, John. I know on our WAR broadcast, you said uh, David Obang Agyapong could get a get legitimate snacks. playing time. I'm gonna squash that bug right here. I'm sorry, that's not happening. Why? They don't have anybody else. Who's the starting running back? <laughs> David Obeng Agupong is the guy. I'm telling you. Right? Oh man, well he, sleep on him. He he was he was on our charts. He was on Drew Carter's charts. Former Fizzer and ACC Network Extraordinaire. So he did get his recognition. Let's move over to the defensive side though, because I think from the offense, mostly things were positive besides individual moments and you know the the back backup O line looking kind of rattled at times. But defensive line, we found our third starter. Did yeah. we not? Yeah, we did. I was curious as to who it would be, and I was very speculative. Another maybe word? Maybe no, that's a word. word. That's a word. Sweet. Two for two. Uh, about how this D-line would perform because they're very thin for bodies. They're very unproven, but they look good in conjunction with the linebacker play, which certainly helps. So you got Kalo Okachukwu, Terry Lockett, and JTS Gear were the three starters with the ones. 
But I also liked what I saw from some of the guys in the twos. Dennis Hawkes, junior, true freshman. Francois Knowlton, true freshman. I'll probably just stick with those two. Elijah Wright had a couple of nice plays too. But that D-line looked good. They were disrupting uh, in the run game. The Dan Villari, Jacoby, and Morgan-led offense really didn't get any kind of drives going. The only successful plays they had were on some trick plays and then a couple of quarterback runs, and that was about it. Uh, that run game was pretty much shut down and bottled up. So this defense is going to be nasty. And aside from D-line where there's you know shortage in numbers, linebacker, cornerback, rover, secondary, depth, and proven depth. A lot of talent. Absolutely. The back seven is going to be Syracuse's best. Well, back eight. I always call it a back seven, but it is a back eight because it's five and three. Right. Uh, that's going to be Syracuse's best unit, bar none. Uh, Wax, Jones, and Thompson, the linebackers, looked incredible. I think they're going to be one of the best in the ACC, if not in the country. And Deuce Chestnut has, you know, his traditional couple pass breakups. We saw him rock the zero, and he did his little, he, he like made a shiver of sorts after he broke up the pass so I guess that's it that's his new yeah. thing this year um also saw a little bit of Braylon Oliver the Louisville transfer he had one of those interceptions you mentioned earlier um and it, it seemed like he's starting to blend in and uh one other guy who was it Jeremiah Wilson true freshman right. cornerback right. he made a couple of hits on the run game that I, I was impressed with and I think he could have a future down the line one concern I do have about the D-line though and you mentioned the depth yes that's an issue I just think they're undersized. It's going to be really difficult once you get up against 330-pound tackles at Clemson and Wake Forest and BC that just wants to road grade you and run the ball 24-7. I mean, JT's gear is, is 260. Terry Lockett is like 265, and he's playing the middle. Right. So, and then you, your backups are maybe Steve Linton, who's a, he's probably he's 217. Two, he's 225 soaking wet wearing all of my winter clothes. And then Haquez is and and Knowlton too have barely been through a collegiate strength and conditioning program. So, yeah. uh, and the linebackers are going to have to be excellent stuffing yeah. holes in the run game for Syracuse to get the ball back to its offense. It's also an undersized linebacker unit relative to what you would typically see. So they're going to have to be spectacular. I think the D line and linebackers are one injury away from really being screwed. You can have a good back eight all you want if you can't stop people in the trenches. You got some issues. So takeaways, defense looks good. Little, little thin, little, little fragmented. Offense, we liked what we saw from Robert and I, Jason Beck, and that new offensive staff. Justin Lampson looked good, but we still got to see what Garrett Schrader can do in this new offense. So a couple questions answered. Still a whole lot left to be answered. That's what summer ball is for. And, of course, the season coming up starting on September 4th? 3rd. 3rd. Louisville. Against Louisville, the first meeting, uh, the first trip for Scott Satterfield to the Dome. And, We'll see what Dino Babers and his team can do against the Cardinals because history says uh, not much, not so good. So that's all for this week's edition of Fizz 5. For Ian Unsworth, I've been John Eads. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can find our stuff at orangefizz.net and at orangefizz on Twitter. We'll be back next week. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.